0: Welcome to Comic-Culture,
1: your one-stop shop for discovering more about comic book characters, stories, and general analysis of these epic tales. So join us on this journey across mediums and
2: multiverses to learn more about the amazing world of comics. I'm Trey. This is Jojo. And I'm Petey.
0: All right, welcome back, guys. We're going to start off with some comic news. We'll start off with Pete.
2: Yeah, so I've got some pretty cool news. Uh, The Superman title is going to be replaced by a new title called Superman Son of Kal-El, which is going to uh, basically take place, same timeline, but we're going to have Jonathan Kent as the main Superman. Um, They explored this a little bit with the future state, and Tom Taylor has been doing a lot with this character. Uh, He did some really cool stuff with him in Deceased. So I'm excited for him to be taking on this title.
1: Awesome. And then next we have shang Shi Trailer Dropped. Uh, Looks pretty epic. We're excited. We're going to do uh, eventually a podcast on him here shortly. And then uh, Jupiter's Legacy is dropping some things off on their Instagram account and other social media platforms. Um, So we're getting excited for that as well.
0: And then we've got another Fortnite superhero crossover. This one's actually pretty dope. It's called Batman Zero Point. And Batman finds himself trapped on the Fortnite island. And this is running in a six-issue mini series. If you buy each copy or subscribe to DC Infinite, you'll get six codes. They come out about every two weeks. And if you submit all six codes on Epic.com, you'll actually get... Six items plus a bonus of an armored Batman skin, which I love Fortnite. Don't love Batman, but the skin looks awesome. And then we'll also just take a second here to explain. We've set up our Patreon and fleshed it out a little bit more. We've got three tiers. Tier one is $3 a month, and that'll give you early access to our episodes and some speed editing by JoJo. Tier two will be $5 a month where we'll offer an Ask Me Anything session each month during which we'll take requests for spotlights and other series, and we'll guarantee that we'll get requested characters spotlighted within one to two weeks. And then tier three, if you really want to help us out, keep us going. That'll be $10 a month, and we'll include all of the above, plus two extra episodes per month. A couple things we're kicking around is a review of the new Justice Society of America movie, and a couple other interviews and stuff we've got planned. So we're also looking at doing a raffle, so stay tuned.
2: Yeah, and just off that really quick, we're excited to be getting this Patreon up. Uh, we hope you can can, can come support us, um, obviously, for some of the extra content. And also, if you like what we're doing, we'd love to, to see some support there for sure. So we uh, we treat this basically like a part-time job for each of us. We, we put in the hours, so we're, we're excited to do it, but we'd, we'd love to have some support from you guys too. But with that said, let's get started. So um, as per usual, we're going to start off the episode today with a breakdown of episode five. Um, We'll let Trey start that off and start off this conversation.
0: So I'm pretty sure I lost the gentleman's bet I made with myself last week. I guaranteed that this issue would be all about empathizing with John Walker. I think I went as far as calling my shot, saying that they would open with some kind of dramatic war scene in the Middle East. Totally wrong. Opened with a relatively decent fight scene between John, the Falcon, and the Winter Soldier. Uh, where John held his own, but got beat. In the process, he did rip off the wings of the Falcon. So whether that's foreshadowing or not, we'll have to see. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I guess, technically win the fight, though they're all pretty worse for the wear. Bucky picks up the shield and kind of throws it down at Sam and glares at him. I want to ask you guys, do you see any symbolism there in his wings getting torn off? Yeah, so I
2: mean, I think, I'd say for sure, I think it's a symbol of him kind of losing the title of falcon to move in towards captain america Uh, with that said i hope that wakanda suitcase has a pair of wings in it that are nicer and upgraded because i think it's stupid if he doesn't have i mean falcon cap has wings so i want to see the full suit i don't want to see him just uh with another like rendition of the captain america suit i want him to have wings so hopefully he gets them back
1: yeah i know and we had talked about this i think after the first episode breakdown in the comics Torres is the one that kind of takes the mantle of of the Falcon. And so it was interesting that Torres is actually the one that asked Sam about the wings and and took the wings. So possibly a a path for him to, to take on that mantle. But I agree with PD where I do, I would like to see um, the Falcon with his wings and the shield. Well, Obviously not going to show the
0: image here, but There was a leak that the internet did hide pretty well, but ironically enough, of all places, Hallmark leaked a Falcon and Winter Soldier Christmas ornament series. Have you guys seen that?
2: No, I haven't. So it
0: does actually show the new Falcon suit. So I won't say anything. Um, I thought for about half a second that I had the self-control not to look it up once I read that somewhere and I looked it up. So it's going to be pretty cool, though.
2: Yeah, I think it's interesting how a lot of the times the toy industry and ornaments, things like that are usually where things get leaked because they're not as used to having to keep that stuff contained.
0: Well, and actually a really interesting example of that, actually a very impressive example is the Baby Yoda craze. So Disney kept that so under lock and key that not only were the toys not released beforehand, they weren't even released basically until I think like six months after season one came out, which to me just seemed like a lot of lost cash. Like you could have at least probably had it ready to go like the day season one, you know, the day after season one drop, but they held such a tight leash that it was actually, they were like almost late to the game.
2: Huh. Interesting. Anyways,
0: I digress. So I wanted to talk about the next kind of act in episode five, there was a court-martial hearing for John Walker. And just to kind of clarify the implications of that hearing, uh, he seemed relatively humble that they keep painting him to have an anger issue, which frustrates me a little bit. I mean, he was, you know, Kind of his own best friend declared him as being someone who always made the right decision under pressure. So to like, kind of have this anger issue now, just I don't know, it seems a little forced. But I, you know, what am I going to say? So basically, they announced that he will not serve any time in prison for his, you know, essentially his war crime. But he would have kind of two main punishments. Uh, one, he would hold no rank in retirement, and two, he would receive no benefits. Now, I don't know how long he was in the military. If he hit his you know, he hit his time, he was going to get his pension and all of his benefits, but there's some pretty serious benefits that come with serving in the military and ending with an honorable discharge. Essentially, they erased his entire military career. I mean, dramatically to hold no rank in retirement to officially not be ranked and then to receive no benefits as if it didn't happen. Um, So real quick, without kind of diverging too far, because I have a couple other questions. Do you guys think that's fair or too harsh or what?
1: No, I've, I personally think it was too harsh, um, and I say that because he he says, right, from the beginning of his career to the very end of his career when they stripped him of everything, he was the, the byproduct or the product of the government, right, so he's having to carry the responsibility of basically what the government created um, seems like something the government would do in real life anyway, but yeah, I, I don't think it's fair. Yeah, I, I have a slightly different take. I,
2: I don't know if I think it's fair, but I think it's completely justified in the sense that it's what would happen in the real world. We, I mean, we can, I don't know. I mean, we can say that they, that, oh, but I mean, they made him and they did. But I feel like the government, if a soldier were to go haywire like that in a public situation, as a government, they have to react harshly to basically save face. So I personally think I completely get why the government did it, whether or not it was too harsh on John Walker's part. Yeah. I mean, for sure. He did something that again, like I said, in the last episode, if it were in a different context, I don't think we would have been seeing that same,
0: same reaction from the government. Well, I don't think if this occurred in real life, it would be so black and white. I think there would be a response from a PR perspective from the government Um, I do think he would get a chance to explain how it wasn't what it looked like, whether that's true or not. I kind of think he would have gotten off a little lighter had this been real life. Jojo led into their kind of his reaction. And again, what do you guys think? Was it appropriate? Did he did you like the way they had him get frustrated? What did that seem realistic? Believable? What do you guys think, Pete?
2: Yeah, no, the way he reacts is great. I mean, he's pissed, and he should be. I mean, he has literally, is it three Medal of Honors that he has? And, oh, no, we're just going to ship you of that, and you're basically left out on the curb. And so, I mean, it just goes, though, to serve the idea that this whole legacy of the Captain America shield is very, very controversial. Um, it's not all stars and stripes and basically wave the wave the flag around and everything's good. Um, it's just creating more tension with the fact that the show represents more than just the good side of of America.
1: Yeah. And, and just adding to that, I mean, the government's basically pushing him to bow basically made the choice for him. Right. Now his, his only option is to go with her. Right. And so we'll, we'll definitely see what, what she has to offer to him in in this next episode, hopefully, but yeah.
0: So I have a couple of points there. One if you did have any, if you felt there was any ambiguity regarding her vow, her role showing up, um, there were some rumors spread that that was almost a Black Widow cameo. So if you didn't really know what she does, turns out she leads kind of a black ops team called the Thunderbolts in the comics. Yeah. But potentially, he, you know, that could have been Black Widow and, and he could have, he could be being led down a path towards kind of a Black Widow type career, which was very much a get your hands dirty type career. Same thing with Hawkeye. But I think this scene was extremely powerful. And I reached out, I think, to JoJo after. Because I actually, for the first time, watched this episode before both of you. I watched it at like 10 a.m. on Friday. And I said, I didn't love it, but it was passable for me. And it it could potentially salvage the show. And I think that that's because that scene in the courthouse where it was John Walker trying to defend himself against a senator and a board. I think that scene showed us the real antagonist of the show. And the antagonist is the government. Not necessarily the US government, but governments, right? What is Carly fighting? She's fighting the government. I don't you know, I don't know exactly what country she's from, but she's clearly fighting the government, the GRC. John Walker has now been screwed by the government. Bucky and Falcon have been trying to work for the government and they've crossed paths with <clears throat> Sharon Carter who's also been screwed by the government. So now we're seeing a trend And I think that that's what's going to potentially bring John Walker back working with people, maybe for the greater good, but not for the government, which would illustrate that point of the government isn't kind of this idealistic society, which Captain America projects, right? I mean, we've seen thousands of pictures of him caressing the American flag just in Born Again, saying, I don't, you know, I don't have loyalty to anybody but the dream, the flag, the country. And this is kind of painting the dream, the flag and the country in a different light and saying, I think saying John Walker, you'd probably be better off going somewhere else. Now, I totally agree with PD and I forgot about this, but they were talking about John Walker at the beginning of the show as like not just a top tier soldier, like the greatest soldier that America has ever seen. So I feel like that got lost in a lot of things. But again, they said the only three time Medal of Honor winner. And he essentially got almost no leeway when it came to this. Those are pretty harsh, pretty harsh for the greatest soldier in American history, essentially. So any thoughts there
1: about the government being the actual antagonist of the show? I think it's just mirroring what, what we saw in Winter Soldier, right? But um, this is just basically more, I guess, more obvious with each character.
2: Yeah, I think off of that, I think something that I would say, I feel like Winter Soldier was definitely more targeted at like the U.S. government and how Hydra kind of infiltrated them the whole time, whereas this, it's more like almost a point against society and this kind of wide based corruption, um, which I think we're seeing, as, as Trey mentioned, on a lot of different fronts.
0: Yeah, so you guys think there might be some weight to that theory that he does get redeemed by Kind of get dropping in, getting his hands dirty, fighting for the, the greater good, but not not really wearing the flag anymore.
2: Yeah, I for, full well seeing him working for the Thunderbirds or whatever, Thunderbolt, sorry. Um and doing a
1: lot of, of good good work there, but in a more gray area. For sure. Yeah. And I think I might be mistaken, but I think Torres is also in the comics. He's part of that Thunderbolt team. So I could definitely see And so is
2: Zemo. I've heard things about that too. Yeah, Zemo is too.
1: Right. It's so, in some
0: ways, it's a it's a group of reformed criminals, so it's it's pretty great. It's it's not quite the Suicide Squad. I mean, it would be an close. insult to Zemo to say that he was on par with anyone in the Suicide Squad. Um, he's definitely a man of ideals, whether or not we agree with all of them or not. So the next kind of act I want to talk about, and I did break this episode down into kind of four main acts: um, the repairing the boat scene. Um, personally i thought the bucky making the joke about being right-handed was probably the first likable scene i've had the first time bucky's really done something and i was like oh okay i kind of like you personally i just feel like he's been kind of a wet blanket throughout his whole mcu time which he's actually had a lot of screen time so that's not really a good thing did you guys kind of feel similarly or have you felt more positively about bucky all along
1: Bucky to me is kind of like the eor of of the Avengers. Um, you feel bad for him, but I me personally I've always kind of liked him um especially in this series but I do I do agree with you. he is a bit of a wet blanket. so I did think that that line was was pretty funny because yeah, I think it just adds this element of human in in these superhero characters where it's just like, oh yeah, I guess. I guess if I had a bionic arm, but it wasn't on my dominant hand, I wouldn't, I wouldn't always, my reaction wouldn't always be to use that, right? I thought it was a great
0: line. It was a, yeah, it was I think awesome. it was a top, top line in the MCU. I mean, you know, whether anyone else in the MCU is right-handed, like, it's just kind of interesting. It came out of nowhere, which I thought was awesome.
2: Um, yeah, off of that. So I like Bucky. I I just, I think his design is so cool. I love the Winter Soldier design, even from the, the second Captain America movie. As far as his character, I mean, he's been fine. He's been a side character the whole time up till now. So I think it's been cool to see him. Um, uh, If I can kind of jump into that scene a little more. I thought it was one of the coolest scenes because it's a scene that we wouldn't have gotten any movie. Um, The way that they're portraying these, these longer, longer format shows, they can do these things that take 30 minutes on a boat, repairing a boat with the community. And I thought it was a really great character development moment for you get Sam with Bucky, you get Bucky with his sister, which is pretty funny. Um, and you get this kind of brotherhood between the two that we really haven't seen up to this point. Uh, I was kind of hoping for a buddy cop show and we have, I haven't felt that that much until like the right handed joke. We got that. And then it led into like the end of the episode when basically he says, are we good to fight when this happens? And Bucky says, you know, you can call me when you're ready. So like, I, I like how it set those two up to be a better character. And I like that they couldn't have done that in a regular movie.
0: Yeah, I would say it's been a pretty big disappointment that the relationship has taken so long to get to this point. I honestly thought it was going to happen maybe episode one I because yeah. I kind of thought they always liked each other. And I guess maybe I was just wrong. I feel like I'm not alone in thinking that, which makes it kind of seem like we got kind of jerked around in the MCU a little bit thinking that they were friends, but they're not really. But I'm glad they're finally there regardless. To that similar Right around that time in the show, um, Sam brought the shield back to Isaiah Wilson. For me, that scene felt a little forced. He had kind of made his point clear. I don't know if Sam was trying to give him the shield seemed a little odd, but I do like how Sam, unlike Isaiah and granted, they've had very different life experiences, but I do like how unlike Isaiah, Sam is not willing to give up on America and give up on the idea that a black man can be captain America. A lot of heavy foreshadowing. I don't think there's any doubt where that's going. And then it kind of wraps up with the Sam training scene, which I didn't love. I'll be honest with you. It was okay. I liked him throwing it. I thought everything else seemed ridiculous. And like, I mean, what does running every day for a week do? It's just, it seemed, I don't know. It seemed like they felt like they needed to put a Rocky montage in and he goes from playing catch off of five trees with Sam to like, or Bucky to not being able to throw it at all. It was like,
1: did you guys even film this in this order? You know? Yeah, I think I <laughs> I actually remember watching him like running. I was just like, "Wait, he's already in shape. Like he's been going on all these missions. Like why are they showing this this training montage right now?" So, I do agree with that. Um, going back to the the scene with with Isaiah, I I really enjoyed that. It basically shows that Sam is always going to make a decision by himself, and that no amount of i mean isaiah ripped into him pretty hard with the the comment of like and any black man taking up the shield you know is is basically a disgrace or shouldn't do it right
0: and no self-respecting black man would do it
1: yes exactly um so i really love that sam is is strong-headed stubborn to almost a fault but it shows that you know, he's, he's not going to give in to, to anybody else. He's going to make those decisions himself, which in contrast, I think that's something that Winter Soldier, obviously we've talked before, is something that he he has to learn to do is make those decisions for himself. So I I really enjoyed that, that part because I think it would have been an easy cop-out just for them to make Sam Wilson be like, yeah, Isaiah's right and I'm going to listen to him um because of what happened to him right so all right so uh i'll be the optimist
2: here i freaking loved the training montage i thought it was dope (laughs) i mean yeah there was the only moment that got me off was when he did like the double backflip or something and i was like that's not even. you can tell pretty clearly that's a double but other than that like the throwing the shield on trees i mean i liked the training sequence i i just thought it was fun i'm i'm not gonna try to tear it apart i thought it was a cool scene um, and as far as like throwing the shield around with Bucky, you guys are getting mad about that. But it's like, OK, you're, you're comparing him tossing it off of a tree pretty casually to him trying to throw it as hard as he can. It's like throwing it with your, I don't know, playing catch with the dad outside compared to going and catching a football from a quarterback in the NFL. Like he's trying his hardest to like
0: throw it as he would need to in battle. So I don't know. I guess I just think you can either throw a metal vibranium frisbee off of six trees or you can't like <laughs> whatever. It was a cool scene. <laughs> I knew you'd like it. That's part yeah, of, of why I, I honestly, do. I honestly only went at you about it because you put these notes here in the comment section. I was going to leave it alone.
2: I just made notes so that I wouldn't forget about them. Well, so. I made
1: notes so that I could attack you in the comments. <laughs> I think a better scene would have been like if he pulled out an old vhs of like the ones that we see in spider-man yes homecoming <laughs> of like i like captain america be like this is how i throw the shield and Sam's like taking notes well or even it better than
0: that would have been like because those were phys ed videos so he was probably showing them do jumping jacks and
1: stuff like actually, <laughs> like falling oh my gosh. like an old Gene Simmons. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you guys are just hating. <laughs> nah, it's because we love you. Uh, um,
2: really
0: quick, I want to point out because we do need to wrap this section. But I have two more things. One felt kind of obvious and kind of late to the game when Sam used his grief counseling strategies with Bucky. That seemed to me that actually made me very sad because this whole time. Bucky's had this resource and he never went to Sam. And Sam's shown through now this whole show and even in The Winter Soldier that he's good at that. That's his skill set of his. And Bucky probably could have turned to him earlier if he, you know, kind of manned up a little bit. And then I want to talk about the post credit scene. What did you guys think about him kind of hammering his own shield? Seemed a little forced. Like I know what they're trying to tell me, but like, what good does an iron, I guess maybe now I'm just like, okay, vibranium shield or yeah. bust. It's gonna like break in half. What metal is he using? You know, I don't know. It just seemed like, okay, he's going to look like he's running out there with a trash can <laughs> and a Halloween costume, but I'm excited <laughs> because I don't think that's actually going to happen. But when I watched him do it in his garage, I thought, okay, budget Captain America, even though I was excited, but I was actually bummed to see the star because in the comics, his distinguishing thing is he's got a darker costume. Like, He did earlier in the show. And then the middle of the shield says like U S. So when he spray painted the star, I was like, dang it. But I guess it made me a little bit worried that they're going to go down this route of like, he's a psychopath who still said like, I am captain America. Like I didn't like that line. I felt like that wasn't the direction I wanted them to go with him.
1: I actually didn't watch I didn't realize there was a post-credit scene. <laughs> <thing.
0: laughs> so, so, so this is off all very
1: intriguing. I'm like imagining it. So this is actually better than watching the post-credit scene because <laughs> I literally envisioned him getting a trash can lid <laughs> from his like neighbors <laughs> and going and just spraying a star on it. And I'm here for that. I want to see US agent it's pretty much go up to a superhero fight with a trash can lid and I am Captain America. I only
2: (laughs) stayed for the post-credits. I was like, there's 10 minutes left until this show ends. There's got to be something. There's always
0: eight minutes. They have the longest credits ever.
2: (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I did see it. And I'll just say, I kind of felt like they're trying to make him like Iron Man in like the first movie. But Iron Man was going up against, you know, like thugs in the Middle East. This guy's going up against Winter Soldier and Falcon with his trash can shield. So It'll be interesting to see what they do. I think in the end, they're all going to end up fighting Carly anyways, but it's just funny. So,
0: so that was my final question. Do you think he shows up to defend? If you noticed, I don't think this is a post-credit scene, so I'm pretty sure JoJo saw it. There's a scene where there's the, the senators are trying to have the hearing, and they're the one senator who we've already seen be kind of a jerk was saying, we don't even need to vote. Let's just pass it. And that was the guy that also the, the passed the judgment or whatever. My personal perspective, voting, hoping, prayerful, that – John Walker's going to show up and protect that guy and then kind of like glare at him and walk off and do the greater good but under you know under a different flag or whatever but maybe I'm just overly optimistic as my wife said I'm just obsessed with him so I did pre-order the action figure so who knows
2: yeah you so guys I, think? I think that's a good point I'm curious to see what they're going to do with him I was kind of doing some more research on the character I wanted to get to know him better and I was like he is kind of mixed I can't really tell if the comics wanted to treat him as a hero and anti-villain. Cause like, like, oh yeah, he's, he's just like another one of the West coast Avenger. Then other times it's like, no, he and Battlestar would create stage crimes so that he could come in and get the glory for it. So, all right,
0: hold on. This section's going to go long. Cause PD had some more things to say. First of all, that was the very beginning of us agents career. Still okay. Happened. It happened, but it was like way at the beginning when he was trying to unseat captain america and he was trying to get publicity for himself which if you remember captain america was used in all kinds of propaganda he was like in concerts and all kinds of ridiculous stuff so yes was it dumb because because john walker did it you know, on his own but he was just trying to gain notoriety and then become a kind of a private captain okay america.
2: but a concert like, and like staging arson is I'm a little saying,
0: different nice stage arson he just pretended to get mugged no Come on. I read the whole Wikipedia page. And also I want to point out that over like 95% of this guy's career, he's basically an Avenger. There's like a 5% window when he kind of is an anti-hero. And then there's obviously a time, you know, where he butts heads with captain America, but he's not even actually a hundred percent wrong. When he butts heads with captain America, he basically says, and this is the question I wanted them to have. He basically challenges cap and says, do you ever wonder if you could be more effective if you were willing to get your hands dirty? And do more good for America. So I'm saying this guy is like 95% Avenger. He was ranked the number 29 Avenger out of the top 50. So if he just comes across as like a psychopath who just like chants, I am Captain America over and over with a trash can lid, I'm going to be pretty mad. All right. Fair, fair argument. Can we move on now? Or (laughs) did you get your rant
2: in? Are we good?
0: (laughs) Oh, you got any more shade to throw at my boy?
2: (laughs) okay well we're gonna move on from that that conversation and that rabbit hole um to dive into our character arc and our comic arc breakdown um so our comic is going to be B- daredevil born again um so what we wanted to do before that is break down a little bit more of daredevil matt Murdock. um so i'll take on this uh to give kind of an idea most people know I like DC more than Marvel, but uh Daredevil's my boy. So when it comes to Marvel, he is like the one thing that gets me super pumped. Uh I think he is objectively honestly like one of the best character designs ever made in all of comics. I think he's it's brilliant. Um, so love the guy to death. So I'm excited to talk about this. His first appearance was in April of 1964 in his very own comic, Daredevil Issue number one. Um, basic origin I want to kind of break down and kind of discuss more about his character. Uh, basically he grew up with his dad. His dad was a boxer, a single dad. You don't see who his mom is until much later on in life actually in born again. Um, but yeah, he is, that was a boxer and always taught his son that he needed to get an education to have a better life for himself. And so Matt studied really hard and pretty much learned the importance of education throughout his childhood. Uh, worked really hard at his studies. And then uh, until one time he saw somebody in the street who looked like he was going to get hit by a car, um, a big semi truck. So he pushed the guy out of the way. The semi truck basically not exploded, but the chemicals in it fell out. And so he went blind Um, and that gave him his powers for the radar sense, which he gets.
0: Is it true? Are the rumors true that this is actually the same chemical spill that did lead to the uh, growth of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles?
2: You know, it was funny. I was wondering if we were going to talk about that because it's like a myth. I no, think it it's 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 legit. I think it's legit that this is the same chemical that created the Teenage Mutant Ninja
0: Turtles. Oh, no. Um, yeah, that's I mean, it's not confirmed from Marvel's perspective because it's not a Marvel property, but it is like 100 percent true from well, the company that produces the Ninja Turtles. They even find a clan called The Foot exactly foil the ninja clan the hand
2: yeah it's definitely i think teenage mutant ninja turtles is definitely uh, like a parody of daredevil in a sense because of the way they treat it with the hand the foot um you've got splinter stick it's like they're pretty similar so it's kind of funny that that's that we bring that up so yes definitely confirmed <laughs> um but yeah so gets these powers radar sense um, too bad the, ten- the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles didn't get this type of power because Matt Murdock's power is very interesting in the sense that he is blind, um, but due to his heightened senses that the radioactive uh, material created, he has a 360 degree um, radar of up to 100 feet, and if he focuses certain senses, there's really no limits. I tried to look it up and get a defined thing of how far he can hear, um, how far he can feel things, smell things, and they keep it pretty pretty vague um what do you guys think of his radar sense do you like that power do you think it's a little over the top what do you think
1: i personally think it is awesome and i love the way that it's portrayed especially in the comics in fact i think that the comics at times portray it better than at least the ben affleck movie right i felt like that was that was not the best personally whereas the netflix show i've only seen the first season but yeah i think that's such a cool Cool. Yes. Yes, Trey. I've only seen the, the first season. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Yeah, we're going to pause
2: this podcast, go watch <laughs> the, for the the next two seasons, and then we can come back and have this conversation.
1: I know. I know. I'm sorry. But I mean, what do you guys expect from me? <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah, just to wrap things up, I think it's honestly probably one of the coolest abilities in, in comics.
2: Yeah, I think it's very unique. Um, and so then he goes and basically trains heightens his abilities even more with this stick character who's another blind ninja very convenient but <laughs> he gets trained basically uh and learns other martial arts along the way and then takes on the role of devils of the devil of hell kitchen or as we call him daredevil um he also becomes a lawyer so that's kind of matt murdoch as a lawyer and then it's interesting because in uh, the comics in Marvel, if people need an, a lawyer, any sort of superhero needs a lawyer, they basically go to Matt Murdock and most of them don't even know that he's Daredevil, but they still go to him because they've noticed his basically kindness and like the way he treats superheroes, not understanding why he does that, but uh, it's a cool side note for sure. Uh, kind of want to open this up now and have more of a discussion about him. Biggest thing I want to discuss are the irony of him being a lawyer who's blind fighting justice on both fronts. There's a lot in that expression. Um, what do you guys think of him being a lawyer and also being a vigilante at the same time? And what kind of, what does that make you feel like?
0: Well, one of the things I love about Matt Murdoch is the fact that he does have a regular, like a real career, a real job, a real education. He went to college, he runs a business. Like those are all of it. Tony Stark has an empire, but you know it almost seems like that would run without him at times, and it, it it like aids his ability to be a superhero. Where this is almost exists in like direct contradiction to it, and serves almost as a weakness, right? Because his only income is finances, and then left and right, you know, kingpin comes after his his uh, gets him disbarred and things like that. So I I think it's awesome that he even has a career, uh, that he does have to kind of juggle those things, and then I think it's interesting that. The 2020, let's just, I'll just say this, the 2020 run dives into this, I don't know if I want to call it hypocrisy, but the double standard that Matt Murdock kind of lives every day as a vigilante breaking the law, but also prosecuting criminals. And it's very interesting. And it's like PD said, what makes him one of the best designed characters in all of comics is this internal turmoil. He doesn't get to go home at night and think that he's, doing the right thing he's always torn about that most heroes go home and they think i made the world a better place and he has this kind of never-ending turmoil of am i am i doing the right thing am i worthy of god he's a very religious man and that that makes him very interesting very very nuanced
2: Georgia, what do you think
1: yeah i i mean it makes sense right especially when it comes to writing um it's yeah if i were uh, not to say that I would, I'm as much of a genius as Stan Lee is, obviously, but it's just kind of cool to, okay, this guy's blind. Like if he were to have a career, what what could that career be? And it's just like, oh, the irony of being a lawyer. So I like that it's written that way. And it's interesting with what um, Trey was saying that, I guess I didn't see it in that way, but yeah, it's, it is very hypocritical in, in the way that, you know, fighting that crime in those in those friends he's really crossing one line um when he's being an anti-hero so
2: yeah i think one thing that hit me super hard actually while i was watching the netflix series is they have the title sequence right and i usually just skip through those or not really watch them but this one it basically shows almost like a blood dripping down um a figure of lady liberty or the justice whatever um and then i once i started looking at it i realized she's blind Like the symbol of justice is blind. And so now we're going to personify that in a superhero, which I think is fantastic. So just another reason why I think Daredevil is one of the coolest characters ever created because he personifies justice being a blind character, but also has that hypocrisy within him of am I doing the right thing by beating bad people up at nights and then persecuting bad guys and during the day and prosecuting them.
1: I do have to say that title sequence has to be one of the coolest title sequence yeah. to any show or movie like ever.
0: It's pl- It's set to Moonlight Sonata. I think it is too. It's set to a really good mm-hmm. piano piece. I-, I agree. I think Daredevil is one of the best characters in all of comic books. And I think his ability set has its share of weaknesses. You know, he is susceptible to a couple things like loud noises, but also like lets him rely on his own abilities and kind of compensate in a way where a lot of characters just get stronger or faster things like that. He's just very, you know, the radar is just super unique, I guess.
2: Yeah. The the last kind of topic I want to touch on with uh, Matt Murdock and Daredevil um, is his Christianity. I think this is something that is worth exploring with this character. I don't think obviously talking about religion with every character is necessary or a huge part of their character Uh, with Matt Murdock. You can't talk about him. Without talking about his Christianity. Uh, To start that off, he's a Catholic. He was born Catholic, raised Catholic, um, and his whole life had this duty to fulfill a good life as a God serving man. Um, Again, creating more turmoil in him because he goes back and forth with Am I doing the right thing by being a vigilante or is this against um, God's will? And he feels like God would want him to do this because he gave him this power um, as his beliefs correspond to this. But I just think it's cool uh, that he is such a Christian character. We don't get that very often. Um, What do you guys, what do you guys find most interesting about him being such a Christian
1: character? I think, especially nowadays, I think um, it can probably get a little complicated, but I love that you have this character that's always kind of had a belief system to attach his name to. Um, and especially we'll dive into it in, in born again, but which plays a huge role with the symbolism in there, but I think it's pretty cool. I mean, me, obviously being a Christian, I think it, it, I just connect with it more and it makes sense. And it it gives you a different perspective of, okay. If, if someone did have these, um, belief systems or was in a specific religion, how would that affect his actions right and to the point though where it's not so much like Captain America where it's black and white to the contrary it's very very gray um Daredevil is super complicated character and I think although a lot of times we think that religion kind of clarifies things for Matt Murdock it almost complicates things but at the same time it's kind of um what saves him and the insanity? Yeah, I think
0: those are all great points. I think it's really interesting to have a hero who's pretty much on all accounts doing good and doing the right thing hold himself to such a high standard that despite doing an overwhelming amount of good, he still struggles to feel like he's not good enough and he's not worthy. And that's a very relatable thing as someone who is, you know, religious. And I think one of my favorite things about Matt Murdoch is essentially he feels so compelled to make the world a better place that he's risking kind of the thing that's the most important to him, which is, you know, his worthiness to God. But he's willing to go kind of put that on the line and potentially do what maybe God doesn't approve of by punching bad guys. But he's willing to do it if it keeps people safe. And I think that's really cool. And I think it's really cool that, his scope is so small. Like he never expands his scope past hell's kitchen and hell's kitchen is a very small part of New York. It's like a borough. It's a fraction of New York city. Whereas Spider-Man is all of New York. If you've played the Spider-Man games, you can kind of see his domain. Like no daredevils domain is very small and he keeps it that way. And he refuses to go bigger and it just matters what's going on in the kitchen. Yeah, and I think that's cool because you get moments
2: where people try to kind of recruit him out of it, and he's like, "No, I prefer to just be on the streets and like be there for my people." Uh, Again, the Christianity, the justice, all these things create such a turmoil in this character that I think makes him so relatable because anyone who's ever tried to do anything that they feel like they're not capable of doing has that sense of never being enough. Um, And Matt Murdock struggles with that so much. I mean, even as we're talking about this now, it just gets my blood boiling. So I'm like, "Gosh." This guy has the hardest life like he hates himself internally and he does so much good. He literally prosecutes bad guys during the day and then at night is putting bad guys behind bars for all their violent actions and be it his means he is a little darker um, than your typical Spider-Man. I think he pushes the limits a little bit more with how far he'll take somebody as far as how much he'll hit them and. Um, But I think he does a really good job of being a good hero and a light um,
0: off of that. Before we run out of time on this section, I totally forgot one of my favorite things about Daredevil is this kind of recurring relationship he has with Frank Castle, who if you know anything about Frank Castle, you know that he crosses every line there is to cross as long as bad guys are involved. He kills everyone. Um, And he basically challenges Daredevil and kind of, I think he kind of calls him out for not oh, – I'm trying to remember. It's in the 2020 run. He basically, yeah, calls, he basically him out. calls
2: him out for not using guns, not being more violent with the criminals.
0: Yeah, yeah and Because at the time,
2: Daredevil had just murdered somebody by accident because he doesn't kill people, but he does by accident.
0: Well, he did one. It's like one guy in his whole career yeah. he actually killed, and then he turns himself in because he feels so bad about it. But that's not the point of this story. The point of this story, and thank you, PD, because I forgot about that stuff, is that he picks up a gun and he just like – does like insane things with it. And he turns out he, he basically, what did he, did he shoot the punisher? He shoots the punisher on like yeah. six
2: different spots, like just on the nerves, not yeah. in like fatal spots, just on the nerve ending. So he was like paralyzed for a few minutes.
0: Yeah, And then he throws the gun down and says, the real reason I don't use guns is because I would be too deadly and it wouldn't even be fair. He and he knows your anatomy. He can like sense your blood flowing. It's how he can fight these people. And like, it's a recurring thing. Whenever he beats up criminals, you'll always see the cops like detailing it. They'll be like, yeah, no serious injuries, no bones broken, just like knocked out. He just did like some kind of nerve ending. And it's so impressive. And he just has such restraint. And that's yeah. why it is so hard. He basically kind of slips up when he does accidentally kill that guy but again he really tries to make amends in that current storyline which is running right now he's currently in prison yeah like has spider-man come in to like take him in and i was so i know i'm getting a little bit off tangent i was so pissed about that i was like daredevil is such a developed established hero who do you think you are spider-man to come in and try to take him in and like retire him essentially yeah that bother you yeah, I think that the respect that he doesn't get from other
2: heroes too, because he is so small bugs me because I put him on par as far as fighting skills and things like that. He could be an Avenger and he has been, I mean, he's been a yeah. defender and things like that. So it bugs me. Um, I do think one thing that, there's two more things I want to kind of end off with really quick. Want to mention what Jojo said, even ignoring all the cool things about Matt Murdock, uh, Jojo mentioned the, the comics and how they portray his radar sense. They are so freaking cool. Like the, the way they show him when he's like fighting somebody, he's, he looks like he's passed out on the road one time and a guy goes with a crowbar to hit him on the back. And he like has a thought bubble that says that people don't realize my radar since it's like, I'm looking right at him right now. And then just de- completely demolishes him. Um, and then when he's trying to like do a feet see someone's lying in the back under of the panel, you'll see like a little heartbeat monitor and he can tell when it fluctuates. And so there's these things that are just like really small details
0: that are really cool. Um, he's he's know even known examples. Like Matt Murdock, the lawyer, is even known kind of notoriously for being essentially a human lie detector. So it is interesting that it kind of carries over into his daily life.
2: Yeah, I think it's so cool. Um, the one other thing, I, it's going to tie it back to the Christianity and kind of the struggle within him, is his name why on earth does a Christian character choose the name daredevil or the devil of hell's kitchen? Um, And I kind of want to talk about this because when I was younger, I never wanted to read him or talk about him because I was like, who is this terrifying looking character? Um, But the cool thing is, is he wants to be the thing that terrifies people into choosing righteous paths, quote unquote, um, which I, I think is a cool take.
1: Yeah. And it's kind of like, he's the, in when we have an argument or something, there's always the devil's advocate, right? And so to the, to the point where he's the devil's advocate to those people that are always evil, right? Because the contrary um, thought process that an evil person would have would usually be the righteous thing to do. So it's, it kind of puts it on its head um, so I think that's pretty cool but I never really yeah I guess I never really made that connection or thought about it just like yeah he, with him being so Christian why not the angel of hell <laughs> kitchen but that just doesn't seem as cool
0: <laughs> I actually I actually think it's more of a, a reflection of how he sees himself yeah I agree I think he sees himself as unworthy and never good enough and as a result committing himself to at least make the world a better place by being a devil yeah
2: yeah i think it's a little bit of both and again there's so many layers to this character which is why to close this section off again just want to say we can all have different opinions about our favorite superheroes um who we relate to the most but i find it very difficult to not put daredevil in top three characters of all time ever created um just because there's so many layers to his character that especially considering he's one of the oldies he's from the 60s um and he's one of the 30 characters that stanley created and he still is able to put the time in to make these layers in this character i'm assuming i think he, he is a stanley creation i'm 99 sure about that
1: yeah yeah he is and kind of to um transition over to um, Born Again is from my understanding, I think Frank Miller's kind of the guy that fleshed him out. And for those that don't know who Frank Miller is, is he's a comic book writer, um, obviously, but he's known for a lot of the Batman stories. Um, he's done, th- he did 300, Sin City. So a lot of his work is darker. Um, but it's darker in the sense that it's more realistic and more grounded, very, very grounded. And I think that's why Daredevil works so well. And from my, yeah, from my understanding, Frank Miller kind of fleshed him out. I think he's the one that um, developed his character more. Um, maybe even the one that that made him have, you know, be a lawyer and have his practice and and all of that stuff. So um, that is one thing that I loved about this this story is how grounded it was um, because it really makes you yeah connect with not only matt murdock but with a lot of the other characters so the the synopsis of of born again we start off with with karen who used to be uh, an ex-girlfriend of daredevil and she left new york and she left new york to become an actress apparently but she became a junkie so she, and it, it literally starts from the very, very beginning. She is so addicted and so um, hooked on, on junk. heroin, on junk, uh, as the comic says, that she doesn't have anything like at all to leverage or to, to pay except for Matt Murdoch, Matt Murdoch, the name, uh, the identity of Daredevil. And so she basically sells this and it eventually gets funneled up to to, uh, to Fisk, um, to Kingpin. And so with that information, instead of Fisk basically just putting a hit and, and killing the daredevil, he basically wants to, he's a prey playing with its food, right? He wants to completely destroy Daredevil in every sense. Um, and so y- you find out that Daredevil, you know, his practice gets closed. He gets into trouble. Um, there's a, Fisk hires or pays off this this cop to basically say that um, uh, there was some fraudulent activity or a false, false testimony or something that kind of puts uh, Matt Murdock into into a, a tough situation, he gets alienated from his friends, from his ex-lovers. Um, and then to top it all, all off, his apartment's, apartment gets blown up. And so here, Kingpin is basically just watching this, like he, he's enjoying every bit of it because he, I think, in, I can't remember the exact words, but he basically says that he wants to it's not so much about the fear, but just breaking down the will and, and the hope of Daredevil because he understands that that's kind of how Daredevil thrives is on hope is seeing that, you know, you can, you can redeem other people. Um,
0: so yeah, up to this point, you've recapped so far. I want to say, even though this was written in the 60s, was on par with anything I've read recently. And I'm kind of a modern comics fan. I thought this was extremely well-written. Um, the, yeah, obviously you have to look past some with some art and some close-ups of Karen Page's face. But besides that, this up to this part was like a nine and a half out of 10. And one of the scenes that you just mentioned that was so awesome was Matt's just struggling to figure out what's going on, right? He's just like, everything's happening at the same time. And then he comes back and his building is blown up and he's looking at kind of the remnants of it. And he just kind of says to himself, None of this said gangster until right now. And he's like, he has no idea who's done any of it until now. And he goes, you shouldn't have signed your work, Kingpin. And I thought that was, I thought that was one of the best scenes I've ever seen. It was so awesome. It was like, man, the Kingpin had it. He had him right where he wanted and he pushed it too far. He played with his food for too long. And what's awesome about the Kingpin kind of describing what he's doing is he over and over says that he's trying to destroy basically the only good man he's ever known
1: yeah exactly and so this is and we'll kind of get into the symbolism after this synopsis but this is kind of um the gist of the story is kind of that one one old life has to end in order for a new one to begin uh, and this is kind of where we're at with with matt murdoch after his apartment gets blown up um he's basically homeless living on the streets um uh, well, I guess before that, so I, as Trey mentioned, he, he finds out that it is Kingpin. So he goes to Kingpin and Kingpin basically like knocks the snot out of him. And instead of killing him then and there, as Trey mentioned, he's continuing to play with his food. So he's just like, how, how can I break Matt Murdock down even more? And so he wants to set up a scene where he throws Matt Murdock into a stolen cab with alcohol, and then tosses them in a lake, basically. And so that's kind of like the rock bottom. Um, but weeks have gone by and Kingpin hasn't heard back. And so obviously he's a little nervous now because he's just like, why isn't this story blowing up that Matt Murdock was was found in this cab? And so they go and he, he hires some people to go and, and they find that the cab is empty at the bottom of, of the river. And this, um, yeah, this kind of starts the, the upper momentum of Daredevil's story. And not to get into a lot of the details of it, but yeah, he's he's alienated from, from Foggy, from one of his ex-girlfriends, from Ben Ulrich, who's a, a reporter, who's a good friend of Matt Murdock, but alienates himself from him. And he gets to the point where he has no hope. And he's going to, I think it's, he sees a mugging and doesn't even do anything until basically the, the, gang, the, the gang members or the, the thugs attack him and he gets stabbed. Gets taken into the nunnery and, and he's revived and the nun that he, that's talking to him, and this is kind of cool because it, it shows um, the, the, how far his, his senses go. He notices the nun's heartbeat. And he recognizes it like it's something familiar, and he finds out that well, it gives the indication that she is his mother. So yeah, he anyway. So with Sister Maggie, he finds this uh, uh, something familiar about it. Um, the the details of it may you can kind of argue which way to go, but he he kind of feels senses that he he knows her and that she's from his past and his mother. Um, and so, again, that gives them another, like, lift up. And so then Karen, this kind of goes back to Karen, because this is a, a redemptive arc for her as well. She feels awful that she's, she's uh, that she screwed obviously gave life. up yeah. <laughs> his name. And she's not really aware of, of what's gone with Matt Murdock, but she, she knows that she basically screwed him over. And so she's trying to make her way back to New York. Um, she's, I mean, basically with a pimp in New York to try to find Matt Murdock and stuff. It just really, she's digging herself in a deeper hole um, anyway. So then Kingpin decides to, he's just like, okay, if I, what else can I do? So he decides to hire this lunatic to dress up as the daredevil to the now- basically ruined Daredevil's reputation in, in Hell's Kitchen. Um, and so at the same time, or roughly around the same time, of course, Matt Murdock comes, beats this guy up, takes back the Daredevil suit, and also beats up Karen's pimp. And then they have a moment together. She she gets her opportunity to apologize. And Daredevil, being the sweet, tender, merciful man that he is, he basically takes Karen back, which. Um, <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Tough sell. Tough sell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very tough sell in that that small window. Um, so then, at that point, and this is this is really where for me it started going downhill. Um, at that point, Kingpin hires Nuke, who is this absolutely this ridiculous character who is very very patriotic, but not in the same same sense as Captain America. He's probably more relatable to the characters in Superman versus the Klan than he is with (laughs) Captain America. Um, Not a great character. And the way Fisk kind of convinces him to go after Daredevil is saying that the media is the enemy, Um, which I guess could be a little, uh, you can shine light to that to kind of what's going on in the world today. Um, But so Nuke goes after Daredevil. And then, lo and behold, the Avengers show up, kind of clean things up. Captain America, we have him caressing the American flag in a very odd way, um, and yeah. So then you get kind of Daredevil having this moment where he he's out of it, right? He kind of saves the day, and him and Karen live happily ever after, after. And and that's basically the gist of gist of what happens. I probably don't do it justice. I'm a terrible storyteller, but um, yeah. So I guess my, my first question is for you guys, for me, it was a tale of two halves where the first half was really great. And then the second half was just kind of a dead for me, kind of like secret wars. Um, What are you guys' thoughts on that? Yeah. So to start out,
2: I was blown away by how good this story was in the beginning blown away because I've read older comics before. And most of the time when I do it, it's more for like research, for example, crisis on infinite earth, things like that from the eighties, they're just not good stories. Um, whereas this one, this one was like, so amazing, um, really deep. I feel like I was talking to Trey about this and we were saying, you kind of get lost in it, which is pretty hard for these older comics. Uh, you really do, up until the point where Nuke shows up. Um, so amazing of a story, and we can tie it back. Uh, season three of the Netflix show ties very heavily into this and pulls pretty much the basic storyline of it um, and modernizes it and makes it better, in my opinion. Uh, but the fact that this is the the foundation of the character for the next 50 years um, is really cool. So overall, great the ending i just don't know what happened i don't know why they thought bringing in nuke and bringing in the avengers was a good idea
0: yeah i mean i've known for a while that daredevil season three which i widely regard as one of my favorite things to ever hit television to, to know that that was based on born again i held the, the comic in pretty high esteem and yet Daredevil season 3 blew this out of the water. I mean, to Petey's point, the beginning, the opening half, the destruction of Matt's life, I would argue until that scene I mentioned earlier where he realizes the kingpin is behind it, it's phenomenal. It's 10 out of 10. And then it just Kareem's out of control. I mean, he takes Karen back for almost no reason. Foggy's kind of having an affair with Daredevil's girlfriend, but like not really. And it's bizarre. It, it really is bizarre. And it's, what's funny is during my research for my eternal defense of John Walker, I came across Nuke and then all of a sudden saw him again in this comic. And he's just an insane character. I mean, he's literally a lunatic. He's popping red, white, and blue pills. His face is painted like an American flag. And he basically just talks like he's in Vietnam. He's like, they've got our boys, they've got our boys. And that's it. He's just like, a, he's just like a psychopath. Who's like genetically modified, I guess it doesn't make any sense. And there was one decent scene where Captain America beat the crap out of him. I'm not a huge fan. I want to see my comics either be a crossover story, yeah, or be self-contained and let the hero solve his own freaking problems. Like I don't want to watch Daredevil be born again to have Captain America come in and save the day at the end. That's just like, well, what the frick was the point of watching that? Imagine in modern day if you watched all of season three of Daredevil. And at the very last minute, Chris Evans pops in and says, you know what it would feel like? It would feel like the freaking Mandalorian season two. That's what it would feel like. That's exactly what happened.
2: Don't don't make that comparison. That is exactly
0: what happened. And it was infuriating. And you know it, Petey. Can we keep this in Marvel? We can discuss Mandalorian afterwards. I'm 100%
1: behind that train. He was the Luke Skywalker of this (laughs) season. And it was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I do agree. I I am with I am with Trey in the fact that it should have been just a Daredevil taking care of business and done. Now, with that being said, I do want to ask you guys, who do you think, it? let's say that we we can't make it that it's just a Daredevil, that we do have to introduce a villain like Nuke, maybe not bringing Captain America or Iron Man to you guys, who would make the most sense that the Kingpin would hire and that would elevate this story they did it in
2: season three yeah. bullseye yeah the way they did it in season three was amazing and i honestly when they did like these little nods to the comic and the mood this show and how they tied with maggie coming in maggie coming in the series better than it was in this because it made more sense they did like a little montage of her romance with his father which was great And same thing with Bullseye. Bullseye's character in season three is the best Bullseye that's ever been created, because most of the time he's kind of a weird character. But they made him relatable. They do such a good job of giving Matt Murdock uh, a good foil, and Bullseye's that foil in this show. Um, And I know we're kind of divulging from the series, but it's hard not to, because the series and season three are so tied together. Um, I'm like, Trey, I knew that season was based off this, so I was really excited for it. And it held up until that moment. Um, so yeah, bullseye, but let daredevil solve his own problems.
0: Yeah. And, and to kind of conclude PD's recap of season three, I mean, you essentially have Kingpin trying to ruin daredevil on, on every level. So he hires Matt Murdoch has basically given up the suit and Kingpin hires bullseye to put on the suit and go and commit a series of crimes with his weapon and basically become his enforcer. So to the public, daredevil has now become a bad guy and matt murdoch who has forfeited the role of daredevil doesn't want to be daredevil anymore wants to be himself now has to physically fight daredevil he has to and it just represents the the idea of him fighting within himself he is physically fighting daredevil and it's phenomenal it really is phenomenal i would say it's almost a show without flaw
1: yeah i like what you said there at the end because i do think Let's dive into the symbolism of of this, because um, as you said, it's it. In the show, you mentioned that Daredevil is literally fighting with himself, and a lot of the the belief in Christianity is this internal struggle between the spiritual side and, and the physical side of man, right? The kind of the the carnal side of man, as as um, in in scripture talk. Um, and so one of the things, and I was. When we when we rate these series, I was pretty harsh with the art just because I'm comparing it to the the art of the other series that we've read. But um, now that I kind of uh, dove deeper in into the symbolism of this, I actually would rate the art higher um, just because of the symbolism. So you have kind of the splash pages in the first couple chapters. We have Matt Murdock in the fetal position. Um, defeated right and then with with um with sister maggie he's he's kind of you know caressed well before that one he's he's laying in the bed in kind of the position of the cross right where the this ending where that life of his has ended if we're if we're talking about symbolism with the christian christian world and then maggie holding him which is very symbolic of um with Mary holding Jesus after he is dead. And then the next one is of Matt Murdock standing up, which is representative of the savior coming out of the tomb, risen, right? And kind of this redemptive arc. And in no way are we making the one-on-one um, comparison with, with Jesus and with the daredevil, but it is it is cool. And it's, again, going back to the idea of having this, this Christian-based um, superhero and, this arc between, um, as I mentioned earlier, the, the theme, which is in the New Testament of, um, you know, giving up an old life for a new life, which is through baptism, right? And with Matt Murdoch, it is this, this role where it, almost any time And this can be true for all of us. Anytime that we're comfortable, usually something is thrown in our way for us to grow and learn and progress, right? And when you have something to look forward to, especially in religion, you you have this, this hope and this faith that no matter how hard things can get, we're never alone. We can do it with the help of others. We can do it with the higher power. We can do it with our belief and we can come out of it better and stronger. So when you guys had read this, what are kind of the, those uh, Christian symbols that jumped out to you or what are, what are those connections that you saw um, as you read this?
2: Okay, yeah. So um, one of the biggest things I noticed with him, uh, I think you mentioned it, is basically that he really is reborn in this series. Um, you see him go through, like you mentioned, with those art pieces of every stage of him losing everything, having to start over, and then recreating his own his own life that he has. Um, and I think overall, just that, the fact that throughout the series, you do see that. Um, again, I, I almost, when I talk about Born Again, I almost want to tell people, you know, if you want a good Born Again story, the original is great, but the season three is a better modern adaptation of it. Um, I'm not going to get mad at Frank Miller. It's one of those things when you look at timepieces, you have to take things into effect that, things are different. Um, the way they did comics were very different than the way they are, they are done now, writing has changed. Um, and so we're looking at it modernized, we can get a little annoyed, but for his time, Frank Miller really set up the foundation for Daredevil. So I think it's important to, I mean, I, again, I'm not trying to say that I enjoyed the ending, but it's, I think it's important to respect that respect that what he did really was create more of these Christian roots um, with the character that weren't as fleshed out until this series.
0: Yeah, I agree. And the reality is it was probably not as much of a standalone story as it is kind of regarded as now. And that's there were clearly some things that were going on with Captain America before and after that that probably would make a lot more sense and maybe make it not feel so much like he hijacked it if you had read kind of what continued on. I'm not sure, but I'm just going to give him the benefit of that as well.
2: Okay, well, I think that basically ends it for – For now, Uh, thank you guys for jumping in. Um, So what we're going to do, I want to talk about next week's episode. um, And then we're going to read some reviews really quick. Um, Next week's episode, we've got Shoto Todoroki from My Hero Academia. um, And then we're going to read some of that for you guys. And then finish up and break down the rest of Falcon and Winter Soldier.
0: All right. And our five-star review for the week was by Slammin' AAM. And it said, I love this podcast. JoJo and PD are my favorites. All right, thanks guys.